Welcome to the Purdue Basketball Podcast. I'm Elliot Bloom, joined by the voice of the Boilermakers, Larry Clisby. Episode 40 here on the Boilerball Podcast. And today, a little different format for our listeners. No uh, guest on the podcast. We are here to talk NCAA tourney. And for better or worse, it will just be the Cliz and myself. Uh, Larry, first of all, um, are you recovered from what was a, um, a wild weekend in Detroit? Well, as I mentioned to uh, Coach Gary, after the victory, the only way a five-hour bus ride can feel good is if you win. And uh, we were fortunate enough to do that, so yeah, we got through it. But it always, the day after on a travel day for me is brutal. But yeah, I'm alive and kicking and doing well. Well, and for and our fans, for the consternation of a few people. <laughs> <laughs> Rob Blackman being one. Of them. Uh, for our fans who don't uh, don't know, we we bus to uh, Detroit, and the uh, mileage limit NCAA has mileage limits to all the NCAA sites, and if you are under 300 miles, uh, you jump on a bus. If you're over 300 miles, you take a plane. And uh, Lafayette to um, uh, West Lafayette to Detroit is around 262, I believe. So. Uh, therefore, 38 miles. We were on a bus, and uh, about four and a half hours. Um, of course, the team left uh, left on Wednesday. Uh, got up to Detroit, and then uh, great. I, I have to say that Detroit did a great job, and the the venue up there was great. Little Caesars Arena, a brand new place where the Red Wings and the Pistons play. Uh, the staff there was fantastic, and the arena. Um, as you can imagine, being a brand new arena was 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 really well done. Uh, set up in the downtown area, great for fans, great for uh, all of our needs as well. We were a little spoiled because we were the top seed in the region. Uh, we got to use the Pistons locker room all week, so uh, overall, very impressive uh, arena there that we were hosted in. And prior to that, in New York, uh, our radio crew had had the opportunity to be hosted by the Detroit Sports Commission. And uh, Chris Smith, who was their spokesman for most of the tournament, um, was there and uh, talking to us. We had a good time. Had a kind of a brunch while we were in New York City, and that was Wes and I and and Rob. Rob set it up, and then Rob was able to talk to Chris on one of our pregame shows, the first game. And but uh, I thought they did a great job. They they, they got my vote if they needed for doing. Uh, more events because I thought it was a really good venue. It wasn't hard to get from where we were to to the arena. Of course, we had a police escort, which is always nice. But yeah, I thought everything was first class. And then, of course, uh, opening round, uh, Purdue takes on Cal State Fullerton, the uh, two two seed versus the fifteen seed. Um, a little bit of a slow start. One thing I noticed. Um, because there was a lot of talk going into the tournament about the Big Ten teams having the week off, and of course, uh, not used to that with the Big Ten tournament being a week earlier. And I did notice, with the exception maybe of Ohio State, it seemed like each Big Ten team took a little bit longer to get going. Uh, Michigan was down ten nothing in their game. Um, it took us probably a good seven eight minutes before I feel like our guys finally settled in and got comfortable in our game. Michigan State was off to a slow start against Bucknell. Um, and like I said, I didn't catch much of the Ohio State game, but uh, it seemed like that was a common thing, at least among those three ten, three big Well, ten Michigan teams. got down big. Yeah, the 10 nothing to start yeah, right. to uh, Montana. Um, so it, it just seemed like, um, I don't know if it's as much um, going a week earlier. It's just, you know, you go that long between competition of what we, what do we have, 10, 11 days where between games – and uh, it will, um, the rust appeared a little bit, but like I said, the Boilermakers were able to shake that off. And then when we got going and things started clicking, um, a really productive second half. Well, the, um, I had a lot of people kind of approach me at halftime and went in there to get a drink, and everybody was kind of, you know, shaking their head and talking about, well, didn't think Purdue played all that well in the first half and this and that and this. And I think the thing that certainly was forgotten is, uh, we played really well defensively, and um, and that was obvious by the score. It was thirty to twenty-one at the half, and uh, when you hold anybody to twenty-one points, and I mean anybody, uh, you've done a pretty good job. So I felt very comfortable at halftime. Yeah, okay. So you know we didn't get any style points, but 
if if you're watching defense at all, you realize they really did a good job. And then, you know, they came out. Uh, Isaac got really going to start the second half, and I think we went on a 9-2 run right out of the gate. So that took it to 16. Mm-hmm. I think it was 39-23, to be honest with you. It's amazing how those numbers kind of click in my head all of a sudden. But 39-23, I think. And then really after that, it was our game. You know, we built it to almost 30 points and, and then, uh, you know, won the game going away. Well, and shot well from three, 41% from three. Um, overall, didn't necessarily shoot it as well, only 39%. But uh, one of the the statistical anomalies was our guy Ryan Klein, who we talked about earlier in the year. Um, oh, I talked about it. With very little, very little, few attempts from the free throw line. In fact, he had gone a majority of the season without shooting a free throw. Oh, he's and, approaching 500 minutes. And you would comment on it all the time. It was one of uh, the Clizz's favorite statistics oh, in college I, that basketball. I, that I could, the one that I could ever remember. I mean, I don't ever remember a Purdue player with that many minutes going that long without a free throw. He finally got a, he got fouled and split the free throws finally. Earlier break. in the year, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, not earlier in the year, just a couple weeks ago. Right, right, right. <laughs> and, uh, I, I don't know. I think it was against uh, – I'm not too sure it wasn't against – it was somebody at home, I remember. Penn State. might have been the Penn State game. It might have been split, the Penn State, yeah. Split a couple he free split, throws. And I said, you know, so now he comes out of the game and he's at 50%. I mean, here's a guy that's going to finish the season one of two at 50%, you know. So. Well, what was funny in the game on against Fullerton was he got fouled and made two free throws. Uh, so now I think he's what he was three or four to that point on the season, and then he gets and then Isaac goes down with the injury, which we'll get into in a minute. And he they other the other team selects him as the free throw shooter because they look at the stat sheet and say, well, here's a guy shooting fifty percent on the season. Sure. We'll put him at the line. Sure. Um, and in their defense, there was there was really not a weak uh, weak foul shooter on the floor at that point for them to pick from. And uh, so then he hits two more, and while he's shooting them, Coach Painter made the comment on the sideline. He goes, "Boy, Ryan's free throw percentage is skyrocketing right now, with every made uh, with every made free throw." Well, he, so. went, he went from fifty up to over eighty <laughs> in one performance of going four or four. So that was pretty cool. And then, uh, of course, the uh, and it was good to see. I think uh, Purdue fans too were excited to see Vince Edwards. Um, looked pretty good in that game. Goes six of twelve, two for three, two for four from three. Did miss a couple free throws, but uh, seven rebounds. Very active um, in that game, and uh, well, other other guys contributing. And and I think the one guy that really um, was exciting to see get going was PJ Thompson because um, offensively he showed more probably in the last two games than he's shown in the last month, and that was really good to see. Yes, and. Uh, I was just going to say it earlier than that. Uh, Vince was right on his yearly numbers of 15 and 7, so that was good to see as well. And as you mentioned, and then he followed that up with a great game against Butler. So the big news coming out of that game was uh, Isaac goes down uh, on the elbow, and um, you know when it happened, we've seen Isaac do this uh, quite a bit. You know, go down and and. Um, when you're when 300 pounds are hitting the floor, it's usually not a soft collision, and um, another kind of hard impact. Um, he got up, came over to the bench, and 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 actually when he came over, he was you you didn't know anything was really. I mean, he thought it was just kind of a, a bruise, and he was sore, and and uh, that was it. And um, we kind of proceeded after the game and did our normal routine, and then uh, as a precautionary major measure, we were leaving the arena and did some uh, x-rays there at the building and got the news um, kind of as the team was about ready to head back to the hotel so some unexpected news on on the after that game and then that became all the the talk um, especially on the next day because for the for our fans when we arrived to town like the, if we was if we played on that Friday we spent all, the whole day on Thursday we do media um, interviews at the arena we also do a practice a shortened practice in the main gym we had the chance on that Thursday to go over to uh, Travion Williams High School, um, a signee for next year who's uh, in Detroit there. We went over to his uh, high school, Henry Ford Academy, downtown Detroit, and spent about 45 minutes shooting some free throws and walking through some plays over there. Got a chance to, Travion got a chance to come out and see us. It was great to see him and uh, spend a little time with him. And then we go over to the arena and get our work in on the main floor and do our media interviews. And then we repeat it all again on Friday. 
or I mean on Saturday, in between game days. Uh, the media has uh, another, you know, half hour, 45 minutes to come in the locker room and talk to all the players. And you can imagine um, what the topic was all day on Friday. Um, and I think even Coach Painter kind of had a comment. He's, after it was all done, he said, well, thanks. We didn't talk about our three best players, but glad we got to answer all those other other questions. But it did dominate the day uh, on Friday well, I, I or can, Saturday. I can understand why Matt thinks that way, but you know, the national media who doesn't see us very often and a whole lot of them don't really know our story and there there is truth to what he said that there's other guys on the team other than Isaac, but it as it is hard to ignore a seven two three hundred pounder in games, it's hard to ignore his impact on this team. And um, so obviously he became the number one story. And then, of course, the number two story was the guy that was going to take his place was Matt Harms. So right. those two guys just, uh, they were looking for Isaac, and they, they found Harms. So that poor guy had like 60 people around. He's never seen that in his life. And the uh, cool thing about me is I had you know I had a chance to just sit back and watch it all, which thanks to uh, you guys I have the opportunity to do because I don't, I do not have a journalistic uh situation for me anymore so I'm just kind of waiting for the game to start and then call it and uh, so I'm just kind of watching everything and uh, you know I really, <laughs> I really felt bad for that. <laughs> well know. it was it, it was kind of uh, interesting and, and for the fans what what they do is your your locker room is considered open for 30 minutes and there's a guy that stands on the door he's got an official clock uh, you open for 30 minutes, and when the locker room's considered open, it's cameras and writers and everybody else coming in and out of the locker room. And the guys basically sit in front of their locker and are basically planted there for 30 minutes to interview or to get interviewed and answer any questions that come their way. And as soon as those doors open, and we make the announcement, we say, okay, now locker room's open, everybody get ready, here they come. And like you said, it was like, it was like uh, lightning bugs around the... Uh, around the spotlight in the summer uh, just sucked right up the mat and all of a sudden he had 20 guys around him and a bunch of cameras and um, as you can imagine Matt's not uh, not one of the guys that was the most requested during the regular season so now all the spotlight was on him but as you would expect from Matt he handled it like a champ and uh, said all the right things and uh, and then went out and uh, in the next game with everybody kind of looking at him gets put into the starting lineup and, and played a great game. Um, and I think one of the question marks going into Sunday's game against Butler was, I know at least our staff was talking about it, is, is Matt staying on the floor and not getting in too much foul problems. And uh, for all the thought about that, the guy goes through the games and, and picked up his fouls really late. He ended up only with two fouls, and they both came you know, in the final eight or nine minutes. Yeah, he was really good. Uh, had a had a terrific first half, didn't hurt anybody in the second half. And um, But having said that, I mean, it's uh, the other main question is, well, how how big a loss is, uh, is Haas to this team? Well, he's a, he's a tremendous loss. Uh, the coaching staff, our coaching staff, and that's how it's always going to be, especially with Coach Painter, you're always going to talk about the next man up and stuff like this. But the thing is, very few teams in the country can then back up that dude with a 7-3 guy with the skill set that Matt Harms has. Now, he hasn't had to do anything other than certain things all year long, but he does them pretty well. And, um, and now that he has a new uh, role, and I'll, hey, I'll give him credit, he won the tip. And, right. and Isaac doesn't always do that, um, but he won the tip easily. And I, I commented when – D.J. Carsonson, the official, went out there to throw it up. He's about the only guy in the Big Ten that can get the ball in the right spot uh, <laughs> for for Isaac because he loses a lot of his opening tips because the ball is basically handed to the other team. But uh, but Matt Matt did really a great job. You, you were talking about those people though when they when those media people, my brothers, when they come flying through that door <laughs> like the first guy. <laughs> If he's holding his own camera, he's fine. Uh, but but I saw one where he did have a cameraman, which is rare now, just the big markets have of it. And uh, the cameraman was running behind the reporter, and the reporter <laughs> had 
the question out before the cameraman even got to, <laughs> which I thought was amazing. <laughs> he's hey, trying Matt, for the, you, yeah. He's trying for the exclusive. Exactly. I guess oh, my. the first first comments out of Matt Harms' mouth. Uh, we got an exclusive for you. So, well, I'll tell you the uh, the NCAA. They have it down to a science in terms of how they allow media access and how they market that thing. Um, one of the reasons it's so popular. Um, now, let me ask you one question. When we were done with the Fullerton game on Friday, uh, did you watch any of the Butler-Arkansas game? Uh, yeah. Uh, it was an amazing start for Butler because they were up 21-2. to And um, what it really impressed me about them was, you know, we had seen them earlier in the year. And I, you know, I looked at their schedule and they had 12 losses. Well, they, you know, they're playing in a good league and, you know, you play Villanova twice, Xavier twice, that's four games. They play everybody in their league twice. That's 18 games. There's a 10-team league. And, you know, you eliminate DePaul and St. John's. Everybody else there can be pretty salty. Yeah. Uh, one through eight. So, um, And everybody else except Marquette made the tournament. Yeah, so. Marquette didn't bat. And Marquette's an NIT team. So, I, uh, but I watched it, and, man, I was impressed. It was 21-2. Uh, we're talking six minutes into the game. Then, as usually is the case, now in, in fairness to Arkansas, I mean, they were guarding. I mean, Butler was just just couldn't miss a shot. Keelan Martin was out there throwing up 30-footers. Baldwin was, and they hit about everything they could throw up. And, and they started the game pretty much that way with us. <laughs> I mean, those right. guys were hitting perimeter. They hit uh, uh, four of their first five three-pointers, and then, you know, they ended the game one of 12. So, you know, that was that was a huge difference in the ballgame. And Purdue, of course, winning by a margin of three. But they were really impressive. But what really impressed me was Arkansas came back, and Arkansas had a nice club. They really did and uh, had length, athletic ability. Would would rival uh, in a look a lot like, um, like Texas Tech. Uh, they don't play quite as well defensively, but they're, they're, pretty, they're pretty impressive defensively. And then all of a sudden, before the end of the half, they had taken the lead. They were down 19 points and came back and got the lead. Well, that was so. That's what was so crazy is we were back in the locker room doing our post game stuff and doing our media interviews, and and guys were packing up and we're getting ready to head back to the hotel where we were going to have a post game meal and get the guys off their feet and start getting ready for the next opponent. And at, before I even had a chance to really do much, um, I asked somebody what the score was out there, and they said it's a. 20 point game and I thought you're kidding me and I looked at my phone and sure enough it was exactly what you said it was 21 to 2 and I thought it was just amazing and then then we got the the TV on and we started seeing Arkansas come back and then to grab that lead and I had told somebody that Butler was up 21 to 2 and then we got you know, on the bus and they said what's the score now I said Arkansas's got the lead, and they did a double take at me like I was crazy. I said, they said, I thought you said Butler was up 19. They were. So it was kind of a crazy well, start that, to that game. And then Butler recaptured the lead before half, actually led 36-31. So they led by five when it was all said and done. And then the second half just dominated. And, you know, won a game 79-62. I mean, that was a really impressive win for Butler. So, yeah. I was shaking in my boots after watching the Butler Bulldogs uh, put on quite an uh, impressive uh, performance. But uh, well, I think, and I think going into our game on Sunday, I think the thing that a lot of people was going through their mind is, okay, this is a Purdue team now that um, got the better of Butler back in December in the Crossroads Classic in Indianapolis, but now they go into Sunday's game without Isaac Haas. Um, so the big question mark, we, we, we kind of touched base on the fact that Matt Harms played well in that game, seven points, six rebounds, um, uh, two block shots, but, uh, but certainly played well. The one, uh, the, the one thing that was nice to see, too, is the contributions off the bench for Purdue. Um, Klein with five, uh, no gel Eastern, uh, gets a basket, uh, a couple big rebounds. Um, Jaquiel Taylor gets some minutes, comes in in seven minutes, plays really well, does some good things defensively, makes a basket, grabs a rebound. Um, Grady Eifert with a big putback had a chance at a three-point play, and he grabbed five rebounds. So good contributions off the bench um, for Purdue in that game. And um, it was, I know, kind of the day or the hours leading up to that game, there was a lot of extra time spent with uh, with Jaquiel. 
making sure he knew all the assignments and the game plan and everything, and I thought he acquitted himself pretty well in that game. Yes, and um, you did make mention of the fact that um, Eifert had that one basket, which was a, a putback, and then he was fouled, and he missed that free throw, but he had five rebounds, and he had a plethora of hustle plays again, right. like he normally does, a one-time diving for a ball uh, that they ended up then kicking out of bounds, which gave us the possession. Um, Grady does some good things when he plays almost every time. He, he had that one bad game, and I, I forget what it was. He threw the ball away several times. But other than that game all year, he's come in and contributed every time he's been asked to. Mm-hmm. And uh, if any any Boilermaker fan uh, questions why the guy has a scholarship, then uh, you're just not paying attention. Plus, he gives you great energy. He's, he's, he's like Matt Arms in that way that anytime he plays, he really he really gets you going. Well, P.J. Thompson uh, really asserted himself in a scoring capacity as well in this game. Uh, 14 points. Uh, makes uh, two three-pointers, goes 6-9 and nine from the field overall. Um, but the the great stat from P.J. for the weekend is he plays 56 minutes and he's got zero turnovers. And uh, and, it, and and he guarded well. Right, I mean, and scored was, 25 points. Yeah, some, so it's not like he was um, – it's not like he was ultra-conservative. Uh, he was out there scoring. He was out there distributing and uh, and didn't turn the ball over one time so uh all the only thing he did was he missed that front side which i would have bet that he would have made that uh he didn't and that, of course i kept butler's chances alive but i do want to put this to bed because i didn't even know until you told me and this was well after the game was over no one came up to me and explained it to me but uh, baldwin never got the shot off in time i saw a picture of it on uh, twitter somewhere where he still had the ball in his hands when that shot clock was at zero. So, mm-hmm. but it was close enough. It was close enough that uh, if it would have gone, you know, that would have been that would have been quite a story when they would have had to uh, wipe that thing off. No question. I thought live he didn't get it off. And, Is that right? Uh, yeah. When it went off live, um, I couldn't tell. And and I had a great. I mean, I had a lot better view than you because I was right behind him. Right. So, but I my my vision. I'm I'm looking at the ball. I'm not looking at that shot clock. So I. I you can't do both. I mean, you got to see if, sure. if the and uh, all I know. And I told Rob this. I said, you know, I Rob Blackman. I said, man, that thing looked online to me, man, when he let it loose. Well, it was kind of flashback to the game up at Michigan. Yeah, and but the other thing is, I'm thinking, man, that dude, that, that dude dribbled forever, right, for two seconds. Well, that's why I thought it didn't count because he <laughs> dribbled and dribbled, and I thought, where is the horn? You know. However many seconds there are, three seconds. It was less than that. It was 2.7 2. or 7. Yeah, but you know that that uh, mystical number, 2.6 or 7 against Ohio State, 2.8 at Michigan State. Right. Anytime I see that 2.6 now, I get a little nervous. But that when he, as he's dribbling in your head, and it seems like it takes an eternity. I don't and know. And when you have the ball, it seems like it goes so fast. Uh, but as he's dribbling, I thought, that horn has got to be sounding by now. I can remember... <laughs> It wasn't that many years ago. Twenty years ago, maybe you you couldn't ever get from you couldn't ever get from the baseline to half court in less than three seconds. Let alone, and now in today's game, it seems like one pass, guy makes six dribbles and he goes from he, he gets to the three point line normally and lets one loose. It might be it might be like twenty three feet or twenty four feet, but he'll be he'll be pretty close to it. Well, I and think, in this case, he was about oh, I don't know what five feet inside. Yeah, he got a lot further than I than I thought he would get, and uh, and I didn't think we, you know, PJ kind of made a jab at him to make him think about it a little bit. But uh, anyway, ball, ball, you know, off the rim, and uh, Purdue holds on for the seventy six seventy three win. One final thing I like to say about this, and I I spend a lot of time uh, when I'm preparing for a game, I I do look at a. I don't go to a lot of practices, but I do go to a lot. Uh, when they're warming up, I watch the other team, not us. I watch the other team for the most part. I just because I like to get familiar with their number or the guy or what he looks like or whatever. And I can remember last year prior to playing Michigan State, Bridges, I don't think, missed a shot the entire pregame. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm talking three balls, hook shots, runners. I mean, he must have been 50 for 50. So I, I just thought and said to somebody, I think he'll have a pretty good game, which he did against us. But uh, now, I, what I found recently, especially in the last few years, Purdue does it, there's certain players that really practice those half-court shots all the time. Right. 
and you'll see them even pregame warm-ups will do. There's a there's a video out. I for, I forget the uh, I forget the media member from ESPN, the broadcaster, came to campus and talked to the four seniors, and they each took a half court shot at the end of their of their interview, and uh, everybody misses, and then PJ's up next, and I think it's Marty Smith, and Marty says, um, now PJ's actually hit two of these in competition. Right. Obviously, the Villanova one was, you know. The you bigger. did it against Wisconsin in and the then, tournament last yeah, year, and then or was, two years and ago. The, yeah, we're correct. And uh, so he says that, and PJ steps right up and swish. And uh, you're right. I mean, and our guys do it quite a bit. I mean, if we're at the end of practice, we always kind of huddle up at half court. We call it stacking it up. And if we're stacking it up at the end of practice, there's always a, about three or four guys that grab a ball and come out there and shoot a half court shot. So, yeah, there's guys that uh, it is a hard shot, but there's – as much as our guys shoot them, um, there is a little bit of muscle memory there. Well, the old joke is if you're around a guy like Ralph Taylor, one of our announcers who's my age, which we don't have to mention how old that is, but the, the, the older guys and they, with a little coach in them will always say, only practice the shots you right. can take in a game, right? <laughs> right? You've heard that a million times. Why are you doing it? And, and you would look, I, I and I've done this. I mean, I'll look at a certain guy and I'll say, boy, I just don't. I'm looking at the numbers here, and I, I don't understand why he's shooting out there. I don't get it. Why Why are you doing that? But in this case, now, now I can kind of understand there's certain guys on certain teams that, yeah, you got to be a little afraid that the guy's going to get a half-court shot because they might have the opportunity to make it. There's no question about it. Well, one of the things that came out of that game, um, which is – might be the best stat uh, that this team's accomplished or these seniors have accomplished in their four years is the 30 win mark in a season oh yeah uh first time four other times yeah first time that uh that uh, purdue's put up 30 in a season 30 wins and uh you know we've come we've been on 29 a few times uh but to, to get over the hump uh, i know was a uh was a, a proud moment for those guys and even and coach painter even mentioned it when we got in the locker room after the game he said you know i got a I got to bring up one thing. He goes, "You guys got the 30 and and we had kind of forgotten about that piece of it. You know, you get in the locker room and you're going to a Sweet 16, and obviously everybody's very happy and very excited. Um, but but then when everybody realized we had hit 30, uh, there was a little bit more excitement in the air uh, and a very cool um, statistic for those guys. Well, when this is all said and done, this team has put their name in the record board a lot. I mean, it, it really. And uh, when it's all said and done, they got a lot of things to be proud of, man. I'll tell you that. Of course, right now, Purdue, people, even with our slump at the end of the season, Purdue's still number two in the country in three-point shooting. Right. And they and they take a lot of shots. Right. I mean, they're not they're not a team that takes, you know, six or eight shots a game. So they're still leading the country in, in three-point shooting, which is really something. Well, and I do th- – and I, and I think, uh, as you said, this team is kind of – these seniors have kind of notched their, their place for sure. But I know that – being an old, uh, being a former SID, I would always kind of look at some of the numbers these other programs put up with their win totals, and it used to blow my mind that we hadn't had a thirty-win season, and uh, and some of the some of the seasons that uh, you know you would think of, and of course it was always the high. Uh, Didn't play as many games either. True, that is true. But like some of these teams now, the, the you, you see a team every once in a while get to 34, 33, 34 wins. It's just boy, it's mind blowing. Um, but it was good to, good to see those guys uh, uh, get that that uh, that mark and well throw the world university games in there we've now won 37 <laughs> we're 37 and seven which is 80 percent of our games this year there is a uh, on this uh, on our stats it's already been released I did see a now I have to look at this again but if you'll look up there in the right hand corner because I know you'll want to bring it up to the guy to make sure that these things are given to us <laughs> Look at Chris Beard's record at Texas Tech. Mm-hmm. What's it say? Well, it looks like a typo. It says two forty-four <laughs> and twenty-three, and I was thinking, "Woo, man! Now, whoa, man! Wow, that's a record." Chris, Chris needs to listen to this now because you just uh, pointed out an error in his game notes on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't bring up what? his name. And you what? just did. See? Well, okay. You should have done that. Now he'll be mad at he'll be mad at both of us. Well, I, I do have to say, uh, 
you you mentioned the bus ride home on Sunday. Um, one one funny thing is we're coming home on Sunday. The, we the guys uh, came up to Coach Painter and said, you know, we're really hungry back here at the back of the bus. <laughs> right at the back of the bus. No, what Paint, and, Paint went back there and said, hey guys, yeah. I'm hungry. <laughs> <laughs> he said, now, now, I was listening. Okay, to well, let me rephrase. I was getting my phone was blowing up. With guys saying, "Hey, can we stop for food? Can we stop for food?" And the uh, arena uh, provides some uh, food at the end of the game. It was um, that might be the only knock on the arena was that they uh, underestimated the stomach size of our players, and so the guys were pretty hungry, and uh, coach was hungry too. So it worked out pretty well, and um, they just we decided to make a stop and. We asked Grady where to stop because we're going through Fort Wayne, and Grady said there was a Culver's that he always hits on the way home um, up there in, uh, what was it, by Wabash there. And uh, so anyway, we stop at Culver's, and the Purdue bus rolls in. Now, the Purdue bus we're rolling on is branded with Purdue everywhere, so it's not like we're sneaking up on anybody. And uh, our bus driver had called ahead to give him a heads up that we'd be coming in and uh, to prepare accordingly. And uh, we roll up, and... Uh, it was quite a quite a spectacle. Um, a lot of uh, a lot of guys taking pictures with people in the parking lot. Oh yeah, well and, uh, you know, as soon as they got there, as soon as that bus pulled in there, everybody was stopping and then uh, <laughs> they're they're texting their friends. Hey, Purdue's here. They're in town. Why no no they're here. I'm I'm telling you. And then they'll send a picture and boom, here they come. I mean, it was like by the time we got our orders. Uh, that place was loaded, man. I mean, there were a lot of people there, and uh, and thanks to our players, uh, gracious as ever. I mean, here here's Isaac Haas, who just had a terrible weekend. Uh, when you think of all the things that happened to him, and he's out there taking pictures with fans. And I saw this one young lady, and I'm not going to point her out. Obviously, I don't want to. She'd know who she was, but boy, she had tears in her eyes when she saw one of her friends yeah. get a picture yeah. with the. Uh, with uh, Harms and you know, Harms went out there and it, uh, and then and then finally she had an I, I I watched her I just kept watching her I was gonna see what if she was gonna make a move and I know she didn't want to she was too embarrassed <laughs> didn't want to do it and then she just couldn't she couldn't hold herself back and she finally just dove in there at the last moment and got a picture with Matt which was great and our players are the best at this so you know yeah they they, uh, they had a good time we got got our food anyway got home and. Um, uh, then uh, took Monday off, and uh, of course on uh, Sunday night, and then on Monday the coaches staff gets to work on uh, preparing for Texas Tech and uh, getting ready for our trip to Boston, making travel plans and uh, things of that nature. And uh, at the at the taping of this, we are um, getting ready to depart to Boston. We uh, are we moved up our departure time a little bit for an expected winter storm out there. Um, but uh, the game time, everything's all set. The matchup's set. Uh, the two-seed Purdue will take on the third-seed Texas Tech Red Raiders from the Big 12. Uh, game will be the late tip on Friday night. So we've gone from noon games and early games now to kind of on the other uh, side of things. We'll have the late tip um, that evening. And I know that'll kind of enter into how the Boilermakers prepare. We're going to practice late um, on Tuesday night. Uh, before we leave campus uh, on Wednesday, and then we're going to try to get a late practice in on Wednesday night in Boston as well. So a little bit uh, on the other end of the uh, spectrum, so our fans kind of got spoiled a little bit getting those early games, and we like those games too. Um, and now we'll have to sit in that hotel room all day on Friday, which I know you're looking forward to. Well, and, you know, we played the 10 o'clock game on uh, in the first game of the Big Ten tournament, the quarterfinal game, where we the last quarterfinal game was it mm-hmm. ten or was it nine? Yeah, nine thirty ish or so. Yeah, nine, it a, well, I think I think one. it. Yeah, I think it tipped almost at nine forty four. So, yeah. and this will not tip at nine fifty seven. I'm telling you that no, right now. It'll be no. it'll be ten fifteen, ten twenty. So this game won't be over until uh, after midnight. However, um, you know they do that. They do all this stuff for TV purposes and the way they want to, you know, showcase certain teams and. They wait till the last moment to set these times, so you just have to adjust to it. But we've, as Coach Painter's mentioned many times before, we've played under every possible scenario you can play under in almost every kind of environment, uh, including all kinds of travel situations. So I, I, I would doubt that that's any kind of an excuse at all. 
and uh, it should be a terrific game. Texas Tech is really a good team. They're not a team that, um, you know, really you didn't hear much about Texas Tech basketball until Bob Knight went there to coach. Right. And uh, but they, uh, but Chris Beard, who uh, coached there as an assistant, and uh, he was the coach at Arkansas Little Rock. It pulled off that big upset just a couple of years ago, and uh, so we're familiar with them. Uh, they won't press quite as much as that team did, uh, but they'll play a really, really good man-to-man defense. And the thing about them is, uh, I noticed in the numbers, I, I think they're the second or third best defensive team left in this tournament. And uh, Purdue is like the second or third best offensive team left in this tournament. So, again, it's going to be offense against defense. It's going to be really interesting to see the contrast and styles of these two teams. And Texas Tech is coming from a league that is – really excelled all year yeah they've uh, big 12 was loaded and texas tech was in contention for a lot of that uh, time um well they was, had an injury that impacted them they're, they're, they're absolutely that guard that they have is yeah. a really really good player was out with it or had trouble playing when he did come back uh with a, a turf toe actually is what mm-hmm. it was yep still bothers him uh i saw an article where he gets iced after each game uh but you know a, a very good team 26 and, and nine um, and uh, anytime you're a top three seed in the NCAA tournament, you've had a really successful season. Um, they certainly have uh, beaten a lot of good uh, good teams on the year, so they'll come in. I, I expect a down-of-the-wire type game, so if you're one of those Purdue fans that um, gets a little worked up in tight games, I don't know what to tell you. You may you may want to you well, prepare I was yourself telling, I was going telling, in. I was telling someone the other day, I can't, um, as a fan, I can't watch – in the games um uh you've heard me talk about this before many times um, i'm a cleveland indians browns cavaliers fan don't have to worry about the browns we've never been in a close game at least not in the last 20 years but having said that that's a different story but you know the indians when they you know when rajay davis hit the home run the eighth inning against the cubs in the seventh game i didn't see it i i, I couldn't stand to watch it when they were down two runs in the eighth when the cavaliers won the championship that I've been waiting since I was a junior in high school for. Uh, I couldn't. I had to turn everything off. I, I, I well, I remember that because I texted you uh, when they were on the verge of doing it, and you said, "I'm not watching," and I, I, I was I shocked. Couldn't, I couldn't. I couldn't do it. Yeah. And then I, and how I figure everything out is I, I turn my phone off. Then I wait. I give at least ten or twenty minutes till I know that the game is <laughs> over, and then I'll turn on my phone. And if my phone starts going off like a slot machine. Then I realize something good has happened. If I if I hear silence, then I realize that they're not dumb enough to text me and know how bad I feel. Now, so, but my whole point of saying this is, I don't have a choice. I don't have a choice when it comes to us. Yeah. I got and usually in those type of games, man. I was telling um, Josh the other day uh, that the hardest thing to do in my profession, the hardest thing to do is to do the last ten. The 15 seconds of a game that's tied, and it's because there's so much you you're looking at the ball, but you ha- you got to name the player, and if he throws up a shot, you got to look at the clock, you got to know the time, you got to know where he is on the floor. You're busy. Yeah, and it's hard to get it all in. Right. Where in television you could just say. You know, Dakota or you know Matthias shoots, then let it all go because right. everybody right. in the world can see it. Except a person that's handicapped, you know, and can't, doesn't have sight. So, I mean, it's it's amazing. Uh, and so, you know, these games, so what your, your point was, you were telling people, boy, if you have a faint of heart, here we could go again. And I know exactly what you're saying, and you just have to, you just have to. Buckle up. Yeah, <laughs> you got to get ready because you know it's coming. <laughs> now, let me ask you this. When you're watching a game that you have no interest in for either team, do you get, worked up and nervous or you just enjoy no 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 i just i just look at it for its value yeah so that that i kind of wanted to lead into um the bracket and the tournament at large because it has been well think about one of the most unique ncaa tournaments through the first weekend that we've ever had yeah but think about this is that the uh, eastern uh, region which we're in is the is the one that's held up i mean this is the one that's held up the city we've we got a one two uh uh, we got a one, two, three, and five. We, the only team missing is the team that West Virginia yeah. beat to get there. Yeah, Wichita State, uh, actually Ross, Marshall, yeah, Marshall beat, beat him in the first right. round. But 
if you look at this year, uh, so everything gets started out with uh, Arizona going down on Thursday. And everybody thought, oh, my goodness, what a story. You know, this is a team that a lot of people had in their Final Four. They go down to Buffalo and, and really get blown out of the gym. And to Arizona's delight, a lot of people follow up the next day and trumped them. Trumped them. I mean, in an unbelievable fashion. I mean, obviously the Virginia game um, to this day, I mean, just a complete head-scratcher. I was trying to explain it to my daughter, who is uh, actually studying the the bracket in, in March Madness in her class, and uh, they researched uh, the history of these things, of you know, of the, of the tournament and the the history of the everything about it, and it's really cool because now they're seeing history for the first time—a one seed going down. What made this, I think, incredible is it's not always as a one seed; it's the one, number one overall seed. Um, it's a team that lost twice during the regular season in arguably the toughest conference. This a, a conference that got nine teams in the NCAA tournament. They won that conference by four games, and then they lose uh, to Maryland, Baltimore County, uh, seventy-four to fifty-four. And not like they got beat on a buzzer beater. This was a pretty good, uh, pretty good beating. Um, I know when that game was going on, we were watching some Butler tape. Actually, the staff was. Uh, in one in a hotel room and we were all together we're watching uh watching purdue butler from earlier in the year trying to get some some stuff from that and then we started watching some other butler games and uh if if anybody ever wants to see the purdue staff uh look their worst find us any morning during the ncaa tournament we look like a bunch of zombies bags under our eyes and sleep deprived and all our nights are spent watching film and uh, Larry was up in the suite with us, and we were watching. And uh, I pulled my phone up, and I said, "Boy, I said it's uh, tied twenty-one at the half, Virginia and Baltimore County." And then a few minutes later, I'm like, six-point lead, you know, fourteen to go, eleven-point lead." And when I said eleven-point lead with ten to go, everybody turned and looked at what. And then Coach Painter goes, "Let's take a little break and turn that game on." And then we watched the last ten minutes and just shocked at the outcome of that. Well, <laughs> then on the drive home Sunday, then we watch uh, Cincinnati go up in flames. Um, you recall, it was just three years ago, we played Cincinnati after getting back to the tournament and having a seven-point lead with about 40 seconds to go in the game, and we thought we were going to get that game in advance, and Cincinnati had that incredible, unbelievable shot coming in from the right side of the baseline to tie the game and set yep. it to overtime and Cincinnati won in overtime and and then the next year we repeated that stuff against uh, Little Rock again with some shots that that I've never seen since right right I, I'm not I mean I'm not only saying this about us I'm just saying there are some shots in both those games that I've never seen repeated and would be perfect uh, horse or pig shots if you we're playing a game because no one could ever repeat them in a million years. But ha- having said that, then you then you watch Nevada come back from that. They're down twenty. They're down twenty-one with eleven minutes to go. They're dead to rights and, I mean, and, and win it and win it in regulation. Win it in regulation. It, what was amazing is I was just sitting here thinking about okay. I was I was talking about UVA and I was going to go into. Uh, I was going to go into Michigan State. I'd forgot all about Cincinnati. I forgot about Xavier. I forgot about North Carolina. I mean, you're talking about a lot of teams. I mean, there was obviously there's four two seeds going in uh, to this tournament. We survived, and Duke survived. Um, you know, North Carolina goes home. Um, Cincinnati. Cincinnati goes home. You know, two one seeds go home. Xavier and Virginia both go home. You go. You look at the three lines. Michigan made it through, and and. They made a buzzer beater, an incredible buzzer beater against Houston and Kelvin Sampson. Uh, they advance the ball to half court, and uh, Poole shoots a shot right in front of their radio crew uh, to win that one. That was that, and that ended the day on uh, uh, Saturday night. Uh, they had the late game and and knocked that down. Uh, and then you look at uh, Tennessee going down to Loyola, Chicago, and look at the story of you know that Loyola, Chicago is. They well, knock Lo- out- Loyola hasn't really been mentioned a whole lot. I and mean, think about it. And yeah, like they, if this was any it's other an 11 year, seed that's in the Sweet 16, and two on two buzzer beaters. Yeah. And think about that, a, an 11 seed on two buzzer beaters 
would normally be the talked about topic, but then UMBC came along and kind of stole their thunder, and uh, Loyola is sitting here in the Sweet 16, and they're and and they're getting ready to play a seven seed, Nevada, and, and we didn't even talk about well, the, the whole the South four, region. Well, look at the four in the South that are remaining. One of those four teams. <laughs> right. Are going to be in the championship, be in the championship. And this was a, this was another topic all week as uh, Coach Calipari at Kentucky uh, kind of voiced his opinion on his um, complaining about the uh, his seeding. Thought he's his team deserved a higher seed than the five seed they got. Uh, they got shipped out to Boise, uh, part of the South region. Um, he wasn't very happy about that. But then as he's as they're going about their business, and they and they beat a good Davidson team in the five twelve game. Um, as he's beating Davidson, the rest of the bracket begins to crumble around him. <laughs> Buffalo beats Arizona, so then they beat Buffalo. Then on uh, right above him in the bracket, Virginia goes down. K State and Coach Weber beat Creighton, and then K State grinds out a hard fought game over UMBC. So now Kentucky will play the nine seed Kansas State. And then opposite of that on the bracket, Loyola, the 11 seed, plays the 7 seed, Nevada. And then and that is a first in bracket history that a that none of the top four seeded teams in a region made it to the Sweet 16. Oh yeah, before Kentucky played uh, before Kentucky played uh, their game the other day, I have a friend uh, and you've met him, Arnold Harris, down there in Paducah, Kentucky, where I used to live, and Arnie's a big UK fan and. So I had to. I sent him a note, and I said, "Man, talk about talk about luck." Now here's the great Kentucky team with eight or nine national champions, and as, as a five seed, you got a coach complaining about his five seed, and he's going to play the winner of a nine sixteen <laughs> game to get to the Sweet Sixteen. Are you kidding me? I mean, that's impossible. And uh, he had to laugh. He said. Because I can remember him complaining about having to play Buffalo. He was worried about Buffalo. I said, holy mackerel, what's wrong with you? But uh, Well, think about, I mean, anybody who, uh, if you've been around this tournament long enough, th- there just is. I, I mean, I'm not making, uh, I'm not saying that you need, uh, that teams that get places are lucky, but there always is an element of, of good fortune. Um, to get deep in this tournament. And whether that's just your other team not playing up to their full potential, uh, missing a shot, uh, a, a referee's call, um, or whatever it might be, um, you need to have good fortune in this tournament to go deep and make a run. And, uh, boy, it certainly looks like it's setting up well for Kentucky in the South because keep in mind, they go to play in Atlanta. And when you look at those three other schools, Home Kansas court. State, Loyola, and Nevada, yeah. that whole place is going to be blue. <laughs> yeah. But, and the other thing is, but I will say this, if, if you go back and you look at the history of this thing, I don't care how many upsets you have in the course of a, of a tournament. We had that back the year we got beat by VCU and then you got to the Final Four. Uh, that, that particular field wasn't loaded, but uh, when it was all said and done, it, there's usually a blue blood somewhere. There's usually Kansas – there's usually Duke. There's usually North Carolina. There's usually a blue blood that's sitting there at the top of the perch, ready to play. And you know, even when Butler, Butler, Butler got the championship game twice, and who took him out? Connecticut one year, Duke the next. Right. You know, right. Duke the first year, Connecticut the second. So, you know, there's all, there always seems to be one blue blood that's left. And in this case, you know, you got Villanova in our league who just won the national title. Um, you got Kentucky still left. Kansas is still out there, but I think probably, you know, and I'm not saying we don't have a shot because we do, but I'm just saying that right now probably the team is playing better than anybody's Duke right now. And when you got Mike Krzyzewski coaching and you got a team that's playing really on all cylinders right now, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised to all see them in the final. Well, interesting, uh, interesting point, too, is you bring up VCU, a team that played in the play-in game in Dayton. Right, and we've and seen say, this before. Yeah, we've seen, say, yeah, yeah and when, Syracuse has done it this year. We've seen that when you go in that playing game, you start to create a little momentum for yourself. And I don't know if it's because maybe you already got your legs under you or what what the theory is, but Syracuse goes to Dayton and plays on that Tuesday night, or Wednesday night rather, beats Syracuse or beats uh, Arizona State rather, and then uh, makes their way to Detroit. Our our bracket, I'm, and we have a pre-tournament meeting that we have on Thursday. And, those Syracuse guys were sitting around the table, and I said, what time did you guys get in? He said, about 4 in the morning. 
and uh, you know, and then you gotta grab a few hours sleep and get up and and go back at it again. And uh, they just kind of walked out there and beat the six seed TCU, and then the stage is set for them against Michigan State. And oh, by the way, Michigan State's 45 minutes from campus, an hour from campus, a lot of green in that building. Oh yeah. And uh, basically a home court advantage. And Syracuse comes out with a 55-53 win. Uh, a game that we were following along on the bus um, as we were leaving, and we were really shocked at the outcome of that. Well, he has one thing that nobody else has, and that's that one-three-one defense that he's played for. How many years now? Thirty-five, thirty-six, thirty-eight years, whatever it is. And Jim Beheim's been there, and he's never changed it. It's always the same, and everybody gets it in their head. I think before they even play him. Oh, we got to go through this thing. How are we going to beat it? And it, I just think they talked themselves out of it or something because it just seems like, I mean, granted, the players changed, but they just seem to they just seem to be able to do that stuff. And they were the last team in, man. They technically were the last it's team incredible, in. It's incredible, incredible. And I'll tell you, um, we saw that 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 home court uh, advantage. Um, wasn't as big a factor, that, or at least didn't pay off for some teams. I mean, we saw it with Michigan State, but also, too, Xavier and Cincinnati both drove down to Nashville about uh, two and a half right. hours south of Cincinnati and basically took that gym over, both their fans. And uh, I heard a, a couple of radio guys commenting. In fact, we were listening to the broadcast or the end of the Cincinnati game on the bus on the way home uh, once we finally got the satellite working. And uh, – they were commenting on the fact that the Xavier fans, because that's we all know the, that bitter bitter rivalry, um, that the Xavier fans were rooting against Cincinnati, and then Cincinnati returns the favor, roots against Xavier, and they both go down. So here's two teams in their backyard that come home and uh, and don't get a chance to move on to the Sweet 16. So uh, a very interesting 16 teams left. Uh, it all gets going on Thursday. Obviously, Purdue plays the late game uh, on Last Friday. Last game on Friday. Friday night at uh, nine fifty-seven Eastern Time. Tip uh, two Big Ten teams so in the seven, Sweet Sixteen. Be seven more teams eliminated, right? <laughs> Correct. Before we play, right? Right. So we'll be down to ten. Now we'll be down to nine. Uh, about tip time of our game. Yeah. There'll be nine nine teams left. So the uh, the Thursday games. Uh, you've got of course Kansas State and uh, Coach Weber um, taking on Kentucky. There they get the uh, the late or the. A late tip on Thursday night. They're at 9.37. And the really late tip on Thursday night is Florida State-Gonzaga. But uh, I know I talked to Coach Katie a little bit. Uh, he was traveling with us in uh, Detroit. He's going with us to Boston. And a lot of our fans probably saw the uh, the great clip of him behind the bench when Dakota Mathias hit the big shot against Butler. And uh, our bench's reaction, all the guys going nuts down there. But then in the background, you see Coach Katie fist-pumping. Um, and he was uh, obviously over the top, but I, I, we had a lot of fans comment on that about how cool it was to see Coach Katie involved. But I was talking to him, and I said, Coach, it's got to be pretty cool to your to your coaches in the Sweet 16. And, of course, he was over the moon about it and, and uh, has been traveling with us, but talking to Bruce a lot and uh, happy to see, uh, see Coach Weber in the Sweet 16 as well. And I'll tell you uh, – Coach Painter said it. He said uh, Kansas State can give Kentucky some 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 problems there. So that that could be an interesting game. And the winner of that gets through it. They're either going to play the seven or eleven seed uh, to go to the Final Four. So then in the West, obviously Michigan, the other Big Ten team there, um, and then that uh, Midwest, more of the Blue Bloods that you alluded to, Duke and Kansas, both uh, in that region along with Syracuse. So, well, but that's, th- that's three Blue Bloods, and only one of them's going to come out of there. So. Two, two of them are going home. How about three ACC teams left in that region? Kansas against Clemson and then Syracuse against Clemson Duke. Clemson has been playing great, too. Has been playing great. They blew out an Auburn team by 31 um, to get to uh, to get to that Sweet 16. Purdue uh, gets to their second straight Sweet 16, and, and some of the notes that Chris Foreman has been putting together have been really pretty remarkable, and I know um, – it's something we never want to take for granted, but some of the, the, the stuff that uh, our guys have been able to do over the last couple of years is pretty amazing. Um, in the last three seasons, six teams have won 26 games or more uh, over the last three in each of the last three seasons. And the company we're in there with is Kentucky, Villanova, Kansas, Gonzaga, and St. Mary's. So pretty impressive stuff by our seniors 
and then uh, one of uh, six teams to be playing in back-to-back Sweet 16s, and then uh, 10 NCAA tournament appearances in the last 12 years, ninth most in the country. And then the one that I thought was really cool was there's four teams that have in the Sweet 16 that also had their football team win a bowl game. I thought that was a uh, a pretty good uh, pretty good stat as well. So good time to uh, good time to be a Purdue fan. Good time to um, be a fan of March Madness with this tournament going on. So any uh, final thoughts, Larry, as we uh, get ready for Boston here? Well, as I said at uh, film on uh, right before the Butler game, do you have anything to say, Cliz? No. <laughs> that's always a big letdown because everybody in the room is re- actually everybody in the room is very interested in yeah, what I you might scared, say yeah but i get scared i get scared that uh that that i started that it's, all right everybody it's time to leave i don't i don't want to get uh you don't want to get the hook yeah i don't want to get the hook <laughs> I, i've been part of some of those not not personally but i've been part of some of those sometimes with someone is given a little uh, form there, and then they say either the wrong thing or, and you don't, and you don't want to be part of that. Well, if you're not prepared to talk, that there's a lot of pressure. Well, I, you, you know me. I can talk about anything. The thing is, I, I thought I, I just sat through all that. I just said to myself, "What, what do I got to offer?" Everybody said what they wanted to say, and looks like we're pretty well ready to go. I will say this: that Rob Blackman, my partner, we rarely ever. I mean, we don't discuss it, and. Uh, we don't really have a real I, I've never had a good feel for I've never had a good feel figuring out whether a team's ready to play or not and uh, but he just he told me uh, we had lunch and he said hey just want to tell you now I, maybe I shouldn't say it but man I got a good feeling man I got a good feeling I think we got this one and I said really I mean you're that confident because he never he rarely says anything about it he did and, I mean it wasn't an easy one, but you know, it, it didn't come that easy. But Well, I told my wife, she said, do you think the guys are ready? And I, I've, I said with a pretty certain degree of confidence, I said, yeah. So they're yeah, ready I to go today. Yeah, yeah, I thought, I thought they, they were cut in. And I thought part of it was because there was a certain um, a certain galvanizing force with the fact that Isaac wasn't going to play. And you got to remember, these guys, these guys, although we're isolated in a hotel room, they hear the chatter and they've got phones and they read, you know, they read social media and everything. And there was a certain bonding that took place, um, kind of knowing that their backs are against the wall in some people's mind anyway. Um, and uh, and they knew they had uh, we got enough in our locker room to keep advancing. So, um, you know, it's whatever can whatever you need to you do to bring a team together. And I think those guys certainly kind of rallied around that. Um, and let's keep in mind. Um, you beat a very good Butler team, obviously without Isaac Haas, but also with Vince Edwards being in foul problems and also with um, Carson Edwards not having his best game. So there was a few factors against Purdue in that win against Butler. And um, I do want to say one thing about uh, Vince's foul problems. And I know um, people were uh, throwing their hands up in the air when Vince picked up that third foul right before the half. You know something I don't know? The discussion was, we kn- obviously Vince had two, the discussion was we had the ball, and we knew that there was enough time that Butler was going to come down and get another shot. What we wanted to do was, uh, we wanted to go down and run a play, which involved Vince. Carson ended up getting an open, kind of dribbled down into an open three, and made it, um, and it kind of caught everybody off guard. Um, so then we had to come down and play defense. Um Unfortunately, Vince reached in and, and picked up his third right before the half. In an ideal world, as soon as that ball goes through the basket, we would have called a timeout to make the sub for Vince. However, you have a split second to do that because they are inbounding the ball very quickly. And I think even if Coach Painter had gotten his hands up to, to call that timeout, I'm not sure those officials would have seen him on the other end of the floor as that ball's getting advanced. So I don't. I don't think there would have been eight unless we would have predetermined it and told the official when this ball goes through the basket, we're calling timeout. And it all happened on the fly there. I know Co- Coach caught some heat for that, and he admitted. He said, you know, an ideal word, I should have should have got the timeout. But uh, but uh, it, anyway, it all worked itself out in the end, and uh, Vince played very well down the stretch, even with those foul problems um, early on that second half. So that'll do it for episode 40 here on a podcast a march madness edition as we head into the sweet 16 i want to thank everybody um, for listening to the podcast 
and remind everybody if you have uh, questions, feel free to email us at boilerballpodcast at gmail.com. That's boilerballpodcast at gmail.com. We hear from people time to time. It's always great uh, to hear your suggestions on future guests that we pass along to Sylvia Booker. She's got a binder full of those emails, and she is working to line up guests as soon as our season is over. Close, I want to thank you for taking a little time in your very hectic schedule. I'm sure you're busy packing for Boston. Yeah, I'm going to take take about half the stuff. I'm going to take about half the stuff that I took to uh, New York and then later to uh, where were we last week? Detroit. Detroit. Were you overpacked? Both times. I wore about half the stuff that I packed, so this time I'll take half and then we'll get stuck in a snowstorm for five days. (laughs) Don't say that. (laughs) That's all we need is to be stuck on the East Coast. You know, that would just sum it up, wouldn't it? We, we get stuck in Boston. We'd all take this in a heartbeat. We get stuck in Boston and have to fly directly to San Antonio. Oh, yeah. I'll, hey, <laughs> no, I'll do that. Hey, we'll all do it. I'll we'll, do that, yeah. We'll go buy new wardrobes if that happens. We could care less. So, uh, But uh, that'll do it here, episode 40. Uh, thanks, everybody, for listening. And until next time, be curious, be informed, and be well.